Uh, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Jonathan, uh, one of the pastors here at Redeemer City. Thanks for tuning in uh, to our service uh, as we are continuing a series. Uh, we're actually ending the series today uh, on the gospel of Jesus. Uh, and you should have a link to a worship folder or be able to find it there uh, on the app or uh, the website. Uh, and so I'd invite you to follow along there. I'm going to read uh, actually three passages this morning, uh, one from Matthew and then Second Thessalonians and then Second Peter, uh, and then we will get started. Uh, but hear the word of the Lord. Matthew 24, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven or the Son, but the Father only. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. And then from 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. And then lastly from 2 Peter chapter 3 uh, beginning in verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. This is God's word. Uh, as <clears throat> I said, we are finishing a series uh, that we've been in for the last few weeks. And what's helpful that as we've not been together in person, uh, usually we say at the beginning of each month the Apostles' Creed. Uh, and that's a statement of faith that's been used by Christians for thousands of years. And it says this, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. It's a, a I think that's a great summary of all that we've been doing the last few weeks. Uh, and as we've been in this series, uh, today we're coming to the end, and rounding out the end is the end, uh, the topic of the second coming of Jesus. Uh, each year in the season of Advent, which is the four weeks leading up to Christmas, we primarily focus on Jesus' first Advent. But this morning, uh, I want to focus on three different aspects of his second Advent, or his second coming uh, as is more popularly known. And you'll see the, the three headings in the worship folder outline. Uh, when, when is he coming? 
how will he come and how, how will that compare to the first coming? And then thirdly and lastly, uh, why? Why is he coming back? Why is that important? Why do we need him to come back? Why is that significant for us uh, as Christians? Why is it significant to the gospel? Remember uh, what we read in Acts chapter 1 last week. As Jesus is ascending back to the right hand of his Father in heaven, the angels tell the disciples, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So I want to be clear here at the outset about what Christians believe regarding this doctrine, if you will, of the second coming. We believe that Jesus will bodily return at the final judgment. He will consummate the kingdom that he inaugurated while here on earth and the one that continues now through the Spirit even at this very moment. Uh, So he inaugurated something, he continues it, and he will consummate it, he will finish it, he will complete it uh, at the end. But we really believe that that's going to happen. Uh, But of course, there's a lot to it. Uh, So let's get, uh, let's get, get, get to a few of these as we begin. The first is when. Uh, and I would direct you to that Matthew passage, uh, Matthew 24, those couple of verses that I read. Over the years, many uh, words have been written addressing this question. Many books have been, uh, uh, have been written. And many of them, the problem is, they, they treat the Bible as a series of codes or hidden meanings. That once you figure out the, the codes or the hidden meanings, it will unlock the mystery of Jesus' return. There's a lot of different markers that people point to. Uh, Some of those are in the scriptures, uh, but it's figuring out what they all mean. Things like natural disasters, global pandemics, you may have heard um, in the last six weeks or so, or or even last couple of months, uh, people pointing to uh, this outbreak of COVID-19 as maybe a sign uh, that Jesus is on his way back very soon. Uh, the amount of Bibles that have been translated around the world, the, the amount of unreached people groups evangelized, uh, geopolitical changes. The list is endless in the amount of things that people have identified and tried to mark to say, this is it. When you see this happening, you'll know he's, he's coming back. It's right around the corner. Well, let me encourage you. If someone claims to know or speaks with certainty regarding the return of Jesus, be skeptical. Be, be wary of that. Uh, And the reason I say that is, look back at Matthew 24, verse 36. Concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son. That is, Jesus himself. Jesus says, I don't even know when I'm going to come back. Only the Father does. The New Testament writers, it's clear as you read through uh, many of the letters in uh, the New Testament, they believe they were living in the last days. They refer to them Repeatedly, they say the last days, they say uh, in these days, they thought Jesus' return was imminent. They believed that the persecution that the church was enduring was a sign Jesus would return very soon. And yet, here we are, it's 2020. He's still not returned. Uh, one of my seminary professors was asked one time, when, when will Jesus return? What's your view of the end times? And his answer is, or was, uh, Jesus will return when he wants to return. However, he, he wants uh, things, however he wants things to pan out in the end, that's how they'll go. And he said kind of tongue-in-cheek, he was, he was trying to be a little bit funny, but in other words, that's not what really matters because we don't know at the end of the day. What do Jesus' parables about his return 
uh, that come at the end of the Gospels and even his expressed commands in the verses that we read, what do they say? They say things like, be prepared, stay awake, be ready. Verse 44 of Matthew 24, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. There's mystery there. And yet the church has spent so much time trying to figure out exactly when to expect him, but he says he's coming when you don't expect him. When he returns uh, is not as important as the fact that we are ready for him when he does return. And so in light of that, how should we then live? And that's where I think that passage from 2 Peter is so tremendously helpful. So uh, have it in front of you uh, as we're looking at it a little more closely, which I want to do. There's this theme of waiting and hastening. It's very much in line with even some of what we just read in Matthew. Be ready, right? As you wait, uh, how do you wait? Well, the churches that were receiving Peter's letters, they're asking the same questions that maybe you've asked before. When is Jesus coming back? When is the day of the Lord that the Bible refers to uh, in so many places? And Peter says, listen, a thousand years uh, to us can seem like a day to God. So since Jesus' life and ministry, to to the Lord, it it might only seem like a few days have passed. Two thousand years have passed for us. We have no idea how God experiences that. But Peter says, or people may have been saying to Peter, and what he might have been anticipating was, well, maybe God was lying. Maybe he's forgotten. What's taking him so long? And Peter says, each day that the Lord delays his return is another day of salvation. He says, count the patience of the Lord as salvation, in verse 15. His delay is his kindness. And here we are, thousands of years later, and the question is, How many more have come to faith in Jesus since Peter wrote those words? What a patient and kind God we have. That's Peter's point. And that would be what I would draw your attention to as well. The every day that Jesus delays is another day of salvation. His patience, his kindness uh, reveals what he longs for. The Lord is not slow in, in, in keeping his promise, but he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all reach repentance. You, you feel the heart of God in those words. And as we wait, we rejoice because Peter says that if you want the Lord to come back, you can hasten it. You can speed it up. How do you do that? Well, the, the more of his people there are living lives of holiness and godliness, the more of his people who are at peace, the closer we will be, according to him. Being ready means a life lived in and toward love for God and for neighbor. And as more and more people bear the image of Jesus in the world, and they in turn reflect that image to their neighbors, we are hastening his return, whenever that is. So when he does return, what will it be like? How will that compare? Because right now the only thing we have to compare it to is his first coming, his first advent. Well, the first time he came, it was under the cloak of night. Uh, As silent as snow falling when no one was looking, the Jesus Storybook Bible says. In the stable, in the quiet of the night, he came. He came in weakness. He came to suffer as a lamb led to the slaughter. But his second coming will be quite different. 
C.S. Lewis put it this way, his second coming will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into the heart of every creature. And it will, at that point, be too late to choose your side. So if you look at the second... Thessalonians passage uh, that I read earlier, that the context for the church at Thessalonica that Paul's writing to is affliction and persecution. He's writing to a people who are experiencing persecution for their faith. They're experiencing affliction not just for their faith, but life was just hard in the first century. And so he's seeking to encourage them. They needed, they needed a sense of what's, what's to come? What hope do we have? in being relieved of what we are enduring. And Paul points to the day of Jesus' return as the time of relief, when when the afflictions will finally cease for the church. And that description uh, that I read a few minutes ago is, of course, in stark contrast to his first coming, right? I mean, look back at it. He says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel. They'll suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified. It's a very different picture. Very different picture. And in light of this, as we are able to count his delay as kindness, um, his patience is salvation. I want you to take a look back in the worship folder at the assurance of pardon. It's from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. And there, Paul says, uh, we have been given the ministry as his people of reconciliation. That's, that's, our, that's the ministry. That's what's, that's what's happening as he delays as he expresses his kindness and his patience through his delay. He's offering reconciliation. And what's helpful is, as you, as you read this, he says, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Well, in Paul's day, and this is a helpful way to think about this, when Paul thought of an ambassador and the idea of us as ambassadors even today, The ambassador went out in advance of the coming army with terms of peace. The ambassador came in the name of the king with the terms of peace, with the words of the king, offering to those that stood in the way of the army who was moving to take back or take additional land. The king's words were, the king's offer was, submit to my authority and you can feast with me and enjoy the spoils of war. Paul says, we are God's ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. Well, what's his appeal? It's this message of reconciliation. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's there's something that's broken. It's our relationship to God. We have done that breaking through sin, and we need to be reconciled. We need to be made right. The relationship needs to be restored. And so, if you're tuning in and you're not a Christian or you're considering Christianity, let me implore you this morning as Christ's ambassador, be reconciled now while the terms 
or peace. Jesus has won peace for us, peace for you and me by being made sin. He was struck down so that we might be lifted up. He was broken that we might be healed. And when he returns, the terms will not be peaceful. It will be the picture Paul paints in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we should be sobered by that. And so part of my job, even this morning, is to implore you, if you've not been, be reconciled now. That would, be, that would be Paul's message to us, even as we read these words 2,000 years later. But here's the great news. The great news is these terms continue, even to this very moment, to be peace. Jesus says, come to me and find rest for your weary souls. The real pandemic, we talked about this weeks ago, but the real pandemic is the pandemic of sin and self. That's the deadliest virus. That virus will kill you. And it will kill you, not just body, but kill you, soul as well. Jesus offers rescue. He offers his own righteousness free of charge. And in the meantime, we watch, we wait, and we stand ready because he has to return, right? He, he has to return. And I would encourage you as we finish with this why question, uh, why, why must he, to look back at the reading of the law, uh, that Joe did earlier from Isaiah 64. Uh, Isaiah 64, 1 to 4, is really a cry of our heart. It captures, as we wait, what we should be, at least to some degree, asking for. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, to make your name known to your adversaries. God, God, conquer your enemies, Right? Come down that all the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we didn't look for, you came down. The mountains quaked. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you. There is no one like you. So please, rend the heavens and come down. Make everything right again. You are a God who acts for those who wait for him. We, as we wait, are in exile. We're, we're in the wilderness but we're bound for the promised land. Much like the nation of Israel as it wandered those 40 years, we're wandering and waiting for God to finalize, if you will, our entrance into the promised land. Only this time it'll be a promised land of eternity, not a promised land that was temporary. And as we wait, he works. In 2 Peter, again, if you look back at that, pa uh, that passage toward the end, in verse 13, he's returning to bring the new heavens and earth where righteousness dwells. As we wait, that's what we're waiting for. He's returning to bring us home. He's returning because there's a marriage supper to enjoy. You read about that in Revelation, the very, very end of the story of the Bible. He's returning to get his bride because his bride, the church, awaits the consummation. Jesus told his disciples in John 14 that he was going to prepare a place for them. And he said, if I go to prepare a place for you, of course I'm going to return to bring you back to that place that I have prepared to come back with me. So I would ask you, what happens in your heart when you think of Jesus returning? Is, is, there, is it joy? Is it disappointment? Is it fear? I'll admit 
years ago, and, and even from time to time now, if I think of the return of, of Jesus, if things are going well in my life, uh, or if I'm some, in, in a beautiful place, enjoying that place, the mountains, the beach, a sunset, something like that, I, I have to be honest, sometimes I'm, I don't know that I want him to come back right now. And, and I get caught there because what it should produce is a sense of joy and hope and anticipation and expectation. I can't wait for him to return. Why is that? Well, for the, for the early Christians, even in the New Testament period, the goal of bringing up the second coming was always encouragement. Anytime the New Testament writers brought it up, it wasn't for the sake of scaring the church into faith. It wasn't for the purpose of being hellfire and brimstone and doomsday. It was always to encourage and to bring hope to the people reading the apostles were full of hope, and they wanted the church to be as well. How does the Bible end? Again, from, from the Jesus Storybook Bible, Jesus says what? I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. And so for the church, for us as individuals, it's kind of like the husband of the wife and children of a deployed soldier. When they get the call from them that, that they're on the way, I'll be there soon. What do they do? Well, they make signs, they make cards, they might bake his favorite cookies or cook his favorite meal. They get ready, right? They're excited and they can't wait to see him. If his plane is delayed and he doesn't arrive until 2 a.m., what happens? Well, they stay awake because they can't wait to see him. And that's the attitude of the New Testament writers, and it should be ours as well. It's why they were encouraging us with the words that they give us and the descriptions that they give us about the second coming of Jesus. And if your faith is in Christ, the promise of his return should be and is music to your ears because you know this world isn't what it will one day be. You feel the ache. You feel the longing for things to be made right. The communion, the fellowship that we share with Jesus now and that we share with each other now through the Spirit is only a foretaste. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit a deposit because he's guaranteeing, he's He's giving us a, an appetizer, if you will, of what is to come. Because the day is coming, friends. Every day is one day closer when there will be no question about who Jesus is, his power, his glory. It will be fully revealed. The day is coming when there will be not one shred of selfishness, loneliness, greed, or fear in existence. They will be destroyed forever. The day is coming when we will walk and talk with God in the cool of the day, like at the beginning of the story of the Bible. But until then, we wait. And the promise of Isaiah is as we wait, he acts, he works. We wait, he continues to act, he continues to work. And we say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we do ask that you would come and that you would come quickly. And in the meantime, as you delay, for reasons that only the Father knows, would you help us? Uh, would you help us to live expectantly? Would you help us to live ready? Would you help us to live as ambassadors who implore those around us, uh, those where we live and work and play, to be reconciled to you while the terms are peaceful? Uh, that we would offer that peace, that we would offer the rest and the reconciliation that you have won for us, uh, Lord Jesus, to 
all that we know and meet and love. And as we wait, uh, would you bolster our faith and encourage us that one day it will all be made new. And that would spur us on to a new each day cry out and ask you to return and return quickly. Thank you uh, that these truths uh, are true uh, and that they make a difference. Uh, Would you help us to live them out in light of your life, your death, your resurrection, ascension, and your eventual return, we pray in your name. Amen. Uh, And so now, as the Father raised his hand in judgment over Jesus, uh, I get to raise my hands in blessing over you uh, because Jesus took that for us. And when he returns, he will come to judge the living and the dead, for sure. Uh, But as he consummates and completes his kingdom, all those who are with him will find great joy and blessing. All those who are against him will find judgment. Uh, That's the reality. Uh, And so I would again say, as an ambassador, I would implore you, be reconciled to God if you've not done that. If those whose faith is in Christ receive these words, uh, may they they bolster you, may they encourage you uh, as you go about your week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.